This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. If you love Art Curious, help us keep it going and get your name read out loud on our show. Become a supporter at Patreon.com slash Art Curious for as little as $4. The Art Curious podcast is sponsored primarily by AnchorLight. Artist studios, exhibition space, and more. Please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. Glamour. Curiosity. Excitement. A love story for the ages. Such are the types of descriptors that you hear when you ponder the life and love of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. Truly, in the pantheon of great artistic relationships, they are definitely one of the top couples out there. And they have the great fortune, or whatever you want to call it, of living their exciting lives in front of the camera as well as on canvas. Google them and all kinds of lovey-dovey images come up. Pictures of Diego nuzzling Frida, images of them kissing, of her embracing him around his middle. But what some people neglect, or possibly even forget, is that their relationship was by no means perfect. There were great ups, of course, but the downs? Incredible. Even Diego Rivera himself was aware of this fact, later writing, quote, If I ever loved a woman, the more I loved her, the more I wanted to hurt her. Frida was the most obvious victim of this disgusting trait. Harsh words, but were they always true? Some people think that visual art is dry, boring, lifeless. But the stories behind those paintings, sculptures, drawings, and photographs are weirder, more outrageous, or more fun than you can imagine. Art Curious Season 13 is all about modern love. And today we are revisiting our very first two-part episode from all the way back in Season 1 of this show. This is the second half of our deep dive into the lives and loves of Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera. This is the Art Curious Podcast, exploring the unexpected, the slightly odd, and the strangely wonderful in art history. I'm Jennifer Dassel. When we last left off with Frida and Diego, they had just moved back to Mexico City in late 1933 after more than three years living in America. First in San Francisco, then New York, Philadelphia, Detroit, and back to New York again. From most accounts, it looks like it was Frida who really pushed for the relocation back to Mexico, whereas Diego would have preferred to stay in the States. But you know what they say, happy wife, happy life, right? So together, they headed home and moved into a new neighborhood called San Angel, and right away, they tried something entirely new. They wanted to commission their own home from a popular modern architect and they had two aims in mind. First, 
They wanted a house that fused traditional Mexican architectural styles with something new and fresh and modern. And second, they wanted to maintain their own separate working and living spaces so that they could manage their own lives and art while still being connected, both physically and symbolically. So they hired a friend of Diego's with the incredibly incongruous name of Juan O'Gorman. Seriously, I love this name. And O'Gorman, who was an acolyte of the important modernist architect Le Corbusier, conceived of this design of two buildings joined together by a bridge that spanned the small distance between them. And thus, the so-called twin houses were born. Not that they were completely twins. These are not identical buildings because they were, in fact, color-coded. Diego's wing was red and white, and Frida's wing was painted blue. When I first learned about the twin houses, I was mostly struck for a strange concern for Frida because I was aware of her illness and her mobility issues. So remember back to that terrible accident that she was in in 1925 that both haunted and handicapped her for the rest of her life. And sometimes she found that she was better able to function in a wheelchair than anything else. The good news is that it seems like Diego did most of the visiting, so he would traverse across the bridge and down the spiral staircase into Frida's wing to visit her. When she made the trek, it was much rarer, and then also much shorter in both distance and duration. The twin houses became hubs of activity during 1934 and on, forming a meeting place for both artists and political activists, being that Frida and Diego were so intimately involved in both worlds. You'd think that the excitement of their homes, with this constant flow of guests and this separation of working spaces, would allow for a productive partnership between the two artists. So they would be sharing interests and worlds while still keeping spaces and time alone for themselves. But that isn't what happened. In fact, 1934 and 1935 were among the most difficult years in Diego and Frida's marriage. Not the least of their problems was Frida's ongoing health issues. And in 1934 alone, she underwent not only an appendectomy, but also surgery to remove gangrenous toes on her right foot. And if that wasn't bad enough, the artist also had to undergo two therapeutic abortions, terminated because her broken body could or would not be able to sustain a fetus. The story goes that this was an utter heartbreak for Frida, who had suffered miscarriages before and who probably wanted a child of her own. Diego already had children from earlier marriages and dalliances, but Frida, Frida didn't have her own child. She wanted a baby, too. Or at least she sometimes said she did. Other times, though, she claimed she never wanted them because Frida, like all humans, was complicated and contradictory. Although Diego was supportive of his wife during these trying times, he was also feeling mentally strained, too. Tending to a chronically ill person is sure to take a toll on any caregiver. But it wasn't only that. He wasn't happy to be living back in Mexico, especially not after having found such success and fame in the U.S., something which had resulted in commission after commission for his murals. He was a star in Mexico, to be sure, but it just wasn't the same. He was already feeling distraught over the destruction of his Rockefeller Center mural only months before. But still, 
He would have given so much if he had just been able to stay in America a while longer. And so he blamed Frida for his unhappiness. After all, she was the one who had pleaded for them to return to Mexico, right? In retaliation, Diego did what a lot of womanizers are prone to do. He sought love and attention elsewhere. A quick word here about Frida and Diego's marriage. Both of the artists went into their union with an understanding that they wouldn't necessarily be monogamous. Theirs was an open marriage, wherein each would seek affairs outside of their home lives together. Frida herself once famously said, quote, I do not think the banks of a river suffer by letting the waters run. That's a rather poetic way of saying that she didn't see the harm in either of them sleeping around. And according to curator Stephanie Knapp of the Nelson Atkins Museum in Kansas City, Rivero apparently went so far as to ask his doctor for a note that said it was physically impossible for him to be faithful to any woman. Now, pardon me for one quick second. I just have to go roll my eyes. Okay, now back to it. In 1934, Diego took things a step too far, and he began an affair with Frida's younger sister, Christina. Frida didn't find out about their relationship until early 1935, wherein she was so distraught and felt so betrayed that she actually left the twin houses and moved into her own apartment in the middle of Mexico City. There, she mourned her relationship with Diego, whom she had considered divorcing. But she didn't just sit around and cry. No, definitely not. That was not Frida's style. The first changes she made were physical. She almost immediately stopped wearing the native Mexican clothing, which made her iconic and also had endeared her to her husband, who adored seeing his wife decorated in this manner. And then she did what many women do after a breakup or a separation, that most symbolic action of cutting one's hair. Self-Portrait with Curly Hair, painted in 1935, presents Frida in this way. With short, permed hair, she stares back at the viewer in a calm and almost defiant manner. She looks sad, too, but also typically feisty and full of life, like she was ready to fight Diego. And she even took matters into her own hands and jumped into her own love affairs, first with muralist Ignacio Aguirre, and then later that year with American sculptor Isamu Noguchi. Actually, though Diego was the known and most obvious philanderer in their marriage, a psychologist named Dr. Solomon Grimberg discovered in Frida's many diaries and letters that she had been quietly engaging in her own liaisons with both men and women during her marriage to Diego. Frida was bisexual, and she loved to boast to anyone who would listen about her flings with women. But any engagements with men were kept more on the down low because Diego got extremely jealous. It was really quite a double standard, as if Diego was saying, sure, no problem, you can sleep with other people as long as they are women. But if you sleep with men, then I'll be threatened. We are not finished with our consideration of Frida and Diego's complicated love for one another. More is coming up next right after this break. Remember that you can join us over on Patreon for a few dollars a month and get this show ad-free. Patreon.com slash ArtCurious. 
This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to Art Curious. It's obvious to us in retrospect that both Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera were terribly betrayed by each other's extramarital affairs. They pretended that they weren't, of course, since they had this quote-unquote understanding of an open relationship. But they were hurt. That much was true. Ultimately, though, they were dependent upon one another and loved each other deeply enough that they sought the chance to return to each other. And so in mid-1935, while visiting friends in New York, Frida agreed to move back in with Diego. In a letter dated July 23, 1935, Frida wrote to Diego, saying that she understood that their affairs were really only minor flirtations, and that, quote, At the bottom, you and I love each other dearly. This has made me understand in the end that I love you more than my own skin, and that, though you may not love me in the same way, You still love me somewhat, isn't that so? I shall always hope that that continues. And with that, I am content. And so, time passed, with things returning to a kind of equilibrium at the Twin Houses, with each artist painting and continuing to engage even more in political activities. Diego produced some of the strongest work of his career during this period, including his recreation of the Rockefeller mural on a similar scale within the Palace of Fine Arts in Mexico City and large commissions for the National Palace and the Hotel Reforma. For her part, Frida was still painting, but she hadn't fully come into her own yet, though she did make some iconic works, such as My Nurse and I, during this time period. But all was not well in paradise, and both parties resumed extramarital affairs over the next few years. One of the biggest blows occurred when, in 1937, Marxist revolutionary Leon Trotsky and his wife arrived in exile from the Soviet Union due to a campaign successfully completed by Diego and Frida. As dedicated political activists, the two couples got along famously, and the artists even offered Frida's childhood home, La Casa Azul, or The Blue House, as the residence for the Trotsky's two-year stint in Mexico. And that was when Frida began a brief illicit affair with Leon Trotsky. Although I've always been curious as to how illicit it really was, considering that in 1937, she painted a piece titled Self-Portrait Dedicated to Leon Trotsky, wherein she presents herself beautifully and confidently amidst a stage-like setting flanked by white curtains where she holds a small bouquet of flowers and a letter clearly dedicating the work to Trotsky, signed with her full name and, quote, 
with all my love. According to biographer Hayden Herrera, it was this affair with Trotsky that ended up infuriating Diego Rivera the most, and Frida knew it. Apparently, she would use this knowledge to manipulate Diego throughout the rest of their relationship, occasionally reminiscing about her time with Trotsky in order to needle her husband. All of this to say that relations between husband and wife did not significantly improve as the 1930s began to draw to a close. In fact, they most certainly got worse. Some of this is probably due to the fact that Frida's artistic career began taking off. In 1937 and 1938, Frida said that she ended up painting more than she had in her previous eight years of marriage, and she started to get attention for those works, too. She enjoyed her very first art exhibition, wherein she showed a few paintings at the National Autonomous University of Mexico. She even made her first sale, with four paintings being snatched up at $200 each by the movie star Edward G. Robinson. Around that same time period, the surrealist leader André Breton arrived in Mexico City and stayed at the Twin Houses as a guest of the couple, wherein he fell in love with Frida's paintings. Effectively, he ushered in a new phase in Frida's career, as he was able to convince New York art dealer Julian Levy to hold the very first solo exhibition of Frida Kahlo's work. And so Kahlo traveled to New York to be feted and celebrated, again as much for her stunning and exotic Mexicanidad appearance, which was very in vogue at the time, as for her art. Diego, though, he stayed behind. While that certainly did wonders for allowing Kahlo to make her way out from under her husband's shadow and into her own artistic spotlight, it really didn't help their already strained relationship. After her successful New York show, she was on a high, having sold more than half of the paintings she exhibited there, and she was eager to continue. Diego, it seems, was eager to keep her away and occupied. So he suggested that she go to Paris while he, Diego, again stayed behind. When Frida returned in 1939, Diego had already become enamored with movie star Paulette Goddard, who was then Charlie Chaplin's wife and was visiting Mexico to be photographed for Look magazine. Diego found her utterly gorgeous, and the two began having an affair. Hayden Herrera notes that this affair might have been the impetus for Frida and Diego to finally divorce. And indeed, Frida may have been ultra jealous of the pair, even though she became really good friends later with Paulette Goddard herself. Ultimately, though, the exact reason for their split is unknown. And Diego, who instigated the divorce proceedings, did nothing to minimize the mystery around their divorce, only publicly stating that their split was, quote, a matter of legal convenience in the style of modern times, and there was no sentimental, artistic, or economic reasons, unquote. So we are left to speculate as to the actual reasons that Diego and Frida divorced in November of 1939. Interestingly enough, though, the two stayed on relatively friendly terms, so friendly, in fact, that Frida continued to manage Diego's financial affairs and correspondence for him after their divorce while living back at her childhood home of La Casa Azul. 
we will finish our story right after another quick break. Come right back. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Art Curious. 1940 turned out to be a rather hectic year for Diego and Frida. After Leon Trotsky's assassination in Mexico on August 21st, both artists would be called in for questioning and, at separate times, be considered as possible suspects or agents complicit in his murder. The real murderer, by the way, was a Spanish communist named Ramon Mercator, who was possibly acting under the orders of Joseph Stalin. The whole situation with Diego and Frida's involvement with Trotsky and his assassination is a big story probably enough to warrant its own episode of the podcast someday, so I won't go into too much detail about it here. Suffice to say that Diego actually fled town due to his connections with Trotsky, and he was spirited out of Mexico and back to San Francisco by Paulette Godard, whom Diego would later say saved his life. Kahlo, meanwhile, was questioned by police later and had undergone such an intense interview that she was eventually arrested and held alongside her sister Christina in prison for two days. Such actions did nothing to help her already worsening health, which had already reached a new low due to this triple whammy of poor decisions. She drank a bottle of brandy practically every single day, she chain-smoked, and she consumed a ridiculous amount of sugar. That last part, by the way, leads me to a very quick side story that shows Frida's unstoppable verve. According to a 2013 article published in Vanity Fair, Frida had two sets of dentures fabricated after her teeth rotted all out. The first was made entirely in gold. And if that wasn't fierce enough, the second one was studded with diamonds. Frida had grills, y'all. But even Frida's ability to slay, so to speak, none of that could help her failing health. She was utterly racked with pain in her spine. She suffered kidney infections, had a fungal infection on her hand, and an ulcer on her right foot where her toes had been removed a few years before. Softened by compassion for her state of illness, Diego wrote to Frida and asked her to join him in San Francisco. When she arrived in September 1940, He had her hospitalized, and her doctors ordered her to stay on extended bed rest. But this was nothing compared to the rather unorthodox treatment that they prescribed next. To better her health, Frida's doctors noted, as well as to help out Diego, the pair should remarry. What a strange and life-changing suggestion! Both parties were very surprised by the recommendation, but they apparently took it seriously with both Frida and Diego contemplating their options before coming together to discuss conclusions. Frida, in particular, noted that she had two non-negotiables if they were to get back together. First, she had to be allowed to provide for herself in a financial sense. And second, 
She said she didn't want to have sex with Diego ever again. Whether or not they actually went through with this is a whole other question, but to his credit, Diego agreed to it all. So in San Francisco on December 8, 1940, on Diego's 54th birthday, and only one year after they were granted a divorce, Frida Kahlo remarried Diego Rivera. The second time around, the marriage between Frida Kahlo and Diego Rivera stuck. They both were still up to their open marriage antics, but they actually stayed married all the way until Frida's death in July 1954 at the age of 47. A death that, according to some art historians, was possibly suicide by the way of overdosing on painkillers, though we just don't know for sure. But just as physical agony was a constant part of Frida's life, so too was her love and dependence on Diego. In fact, it may almost have been a mutual obsession. There was one passage in Frida's diaries in which she wrote, almost like a chant, quote, Diego, my husband. Diego, my friend. Diego, my mother. Diego, my father. Diego, my son. Diego, me. Diego, universe. Diego spent the first year after Frida's death mourning her absence in a huge way, commenting that Frida's death was the most tragic thing to occur in his life. He said, quote, I had lost my beloved Frida forever. Too late now, I realized that this most wonderful part of my life had been my love for Frida. He eventually remarried one last time before dying three years after Frida in November 1957 at the age of 70. Before her death, Frida called Diego to her bedside where she had been ill with a severe case of pneumonia. While sitting with her, Frida gave him a ring that she had bought for him as an anniversary present, even though their anniversary was still months away. Diego was confused and asked her why she was giving him this present so early, to which she softly replied, quote, because I feel I am going to leave you soon. She died the very next day. Even in her last waking hours, her final thoughts were on the love that she shared with her Diego. And I can only hope that Diego's final thoughts edged back slowly toward her. Next time on Art Curious, it's our season finale, and we are ending our modern love stories with a big one. Join us next time. Thank you for listening to the Art Curious Podcast. This episode was written, produced, and narrated by me, Jennifer Dassel. The Art Curious theme music is by Alex Davis at alexdavismusic.com, and our podcast is co-produced by Kabunki. Podcasts, creative video, and more. Subscribe to their show, Subgenre, a podcast about the movies. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at subgenrepodcast.com. Kabunki, leave your mark. The Art Curious Podcast is sponsored primarily by Anchor Light. Anchor Light is a creative space founded with the intent of fostering artists, designers, and craftspeople at varying stages of their development. 
home to artist studios, residency opportunities, and exhibition space, AnchorLight encourages mentorship and the cross-pollination of skills among creatives in the triangle. Please visit AnchorLightRaleigh.com. The Art Curious Podcast is also fiscally sponsored by VAE Raleigh, a 501c3 nonprofit creativity incubator, which means you can donate tax-free to Art Curious to show your support, and you can join us at Patreon for the price of a cup of coffee. Check back with us in two weeks to finish out our season on the most unexpected, slightly odd, and strangely wonderful modern lovers in art history. <laughs>